0: Let me invite you to take your Bibles and open with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 4 this morning. If you haven't brought a Bible with you, our passage is found on page 1001 in the pew Bibles, in the pew racks in front of you. This Advent season, I've been doing a a uh, little mini sermon series on what I've been calling the songs of Christ. These are uh, short little passages that focus on the person and the work of Christ. Uh, scholars, many scholars think that they are uh, early church hymns or poems. They have a certain poetic uh, quality to them, a certain structure to them. We'll see that in this one as well this morning. So let's look at this passage, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Hear the word of God. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to our God in prayer. Our God, we thank you for our exalted Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and came to earth, but who is exalted God. And so, oh God, help us to see Jesus. Help us to be drawn closer to our Lord and Savior. And may we glorify him in our hearts and in our lives. We pray this in his name. Amen. When I was seven years old. My sister Vicky, who many of you know because she uh, lived here in Charlotte for a while and attended Sovereign Grace for a while. When I was seven, she took my good friend Smitty Simmons and me uh, to see the movie Scrooge with Al, uh, starring Albert Finney when it had just been released and it was out in the movie theater, and the movie Scrooge became a family tradition after that. After it had been uh, released, and it has now become actually a family tradition that we share with uh, another family in uh, the church. We we watch it uh, every Christmas season. If you're familiar with it, it you know it's based on the Charles Dickens classic, Christmas Carol. Uh, Scrooge is a lonely, nasty miser who hates Christmas. And he is visited by uh, three ghosts on Christmas Eve, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas future. But with the ghost of Christmas present... When he goes to see him, there is this bright light that this ghost lets off. So that Scrooge can't even look into this, this see this ghost because the light is so bright. He needs the ghost to, to turn down the light because he is so bright and so radiant. Well, we read in the Bible... That our God dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see, as the Apostle Paul puts it in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. Here in verse 3, in our passage this morning, we read of Christ that he is the radiance Of the glory of God. And this is at the heart of another of what we can call a song of Christ in the New Testament. A radiant Christ, the radiance of the glory of God that even even Charles Dickens could not. Match in his writing. This song has a wonderful structure. There are seven statements about Christ, and they actually correspond to seven Old Testament quotations that follow in the rest of Hebrews. Uh, chapter one you can count them up if you want don't do it right now uh, you might yeah not be able to uh, track the the sermon this morning seven of course is the number of perfection so this is I think intentional I would say these seven statements regarding Christ in other words Christ is perfectly glorious in his person and in his work this, Passage also has what we call a chiastic structure. A chiastic structure is a structure that that follows the uh goes according to the, the Greek letter key, or it is a key is shaped like an X. Uh, that's a key in the Greek letters, the Greek alphabet. It looks basically like an X. The main points in a chiastic structure are found on the extremes and right in the middle where the X meets, the two lines meet. The main points, the outside and the center. And at the center, we have two statements, as we'll see in a little bit, concerning the person of Jesus Christ, his divine nature and at the beginning and the end, we see the supremacy of Christ, his enthronement. The, the deity of Christ in the middle, and the supremacy or the enthronement of Christ. He rules over all that he has made. Of course, he is God and he rules over all that he has made. Now the writer here begins by getting our attention by making a contrast in verses 1 and the beginning of verse 2. We're going to look at these just very briefly. He writes long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Okay, let's look at those statements. They are contrasting parallels. Long ago at many times, but in these last days. Long ago at many times, God spoke to our fathers, but in these last days, he has spoken to us. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now he has spoken to us by his Son. And note a, couple, note a couple of things here in this contrast. God has spoken. The writer is saying that the Bible is God's word. It is authoritative. God has spoken through his agents, through his instruments. And we need to hear that again this morning. In light of the relativity of our age, the Bible, Old and New Testaments, are the word of God, the inspired word of God. God is speaking in his word. Also, we see that God's revelation in scripture is to be read as a whole. It all fits together. The Old Testament is God speaking. Through his prophets, now it's fulfilled in the New Testament. The old was incomplete, anticipatory. The new completes and fulfills it. And yet there is continuity between the two. The Old Testament pointed to Christ. It implicitly pointed to Christ and sometimes even explicitly pointed to Christ as we saw and heard in our passage this morning from Isaiah, our Old Testament reading. But it all exalted Christ as our passage does this morning as well. In fact, the theme of Hebrews itself from beginning to end is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And it begins with this glorious statement of the work of Christ. So who is this son that God has spoken, through whom God has spoken to us? Let's look at these seven statements. Some we'll look at briefly, some we'll look at in a little more detail. First of all, the text says we we see in these this 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 hymn with this these statements about Jesus Christ. He has appointed the heir of all things. This is tied to his sonship, the heir of all things. Who Who is the heir in a household? Well, it's the son, especially in ancient times as the only son he's the heir of all things he gets the entire inheritance one son he gets everything and it's tied here to his messianic work turn with me if you want real quickly or just listen as i read from from psalm chapter 2 this is one of the great messianic psalms in the old testament beginning of Psalm chapter 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves uh, 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 and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed." And then the the text goes on, move down to verse 6. The Lord says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. It points to Christ. The ends of the earth are your Possession, it all belongs to him. It's his inheritance. All the redeemed, as it says in Psalm chapter 2, the people, the universe will be renewed, all of creation. John Calvin wrote on this passage in Hebrews the name heir is attributed to Christ as manifest in the flesh. For in, in being made man and putting on the same nature as us, he took on for himself this airship in order to restore to us what we had lost in Adam. He restored what was lost in Adam, pointed the air of all things. This goes on in Hebrews chapter 1, through whom also he created the world. Created the world. He created all things. We see this elsewhere in Scripture. We saw it last week in the Colossians chapter 1 passage. We also see it in John chapter 1 and beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was the Word who created all things. What are the implications of this? First of all, it means he is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. That means we can trust him to fulfill his promises. It means we can rest in him. We can never fear that he will leave us. We can never fear that we will lose his protection. He is all-powerful. He is the sovereign Lord of all things. He owns it. It's his. As we sing that, that great old hymn, This is my Father's world. It is Christ's world. He created it. He is actively ruling. He keeps his promises. He will keep his promises. He will provide for and care for his people. It also means, brothers and sisters, he created the world. He knows best how to live in it. His commands, in other words, are good for us. When we live contrary to the commands of God, we do it to our harm. He's the owner, he's the ruler, he's the creator. Here's how we live. His laws are how we live best for our own good in the world. It also means that the physical creation itself is good. As Francis Schaeffer has put it, if we love God, we love the world he has made. We praise God for it, and yet we still look forward to the new heaven and the new earth. And then we come to the center of the chiasm and let's see the third and fourth aspects here. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The radiance of the glory of God, as I've already indicated, radiance at its root means brightness. Christ shines forth the glory of God as the beams of the Son. In the Old Testament, we we read often of the Shekinah glory. We see in the book of Exodus when Moses goes in to, to meet with God. We'll see this uh, later in Exodus when we get back to our study of Exodus. When, when Moses goes in to meet with God, he comes out and his face shines when he comes out from meeting with God because it just reflects the glory of God. We see it also when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah come to meet him, but then a cloud descends and Jesus is taken into that cloud. And when, he, when the cloud departs, Jesus is shining the glory of God. A.W. Pink writes this the glory associated with Moses and Elijah was so eclipsed by the infinitely greater glory connected with Christ that they faded from view. Of course, we, re- we just earlier in our service in saying the Nicene Creed said of the Lord Jesus Christ that He is light of light, brightness of light. The church father, Athanasius, who was one of the stalwarts of the council of Nicaea, who was standing firm for the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, Wrote this Who does not see that the brightness cannot be separated from the light, but that it is by nature proper to it and coexistent with it? Christ, in other words, the radiance of God's glory. But fourth, he is also the exact imprint of his nature the exact imprint of his nature. The word imprint here, the Greek word imprint, generally had to do with an engraving or a seal. The the most clear example would be a coin with a a ruler's face on it. Jesus, uh, in his ministry, was asked as is it, is it right to pay taxes? And he said, show me a denarius. And he asked whose likeness and inscription is on it. And he's, they said, Caesar's. And you know the rest of the story, Peter. Caesar, what is Caesar's, et cetera, et cetera. The, That would be the, the imprint, Caesar's likeness and inscription on that coin. The idea here is Jesus is the exact duplication of the Father's nature, of the Father's being. Thus Jesus can say to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. My sons cannot say, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father, thankfully for them. There are similarities, but not, you've seen me, you've seen my father, but Jesus could. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this, A servant may be able to say everything that is right about his Lord and Master. He may know him well and intimately, but he can never represent him in the way that the Son can. The Son is a manifestation of the Father By being what he is. Thus our Lord himself, while here on earth, represented and manifested the name of God in a way that is incomparable and greater than all others because he is the Son of God. As John puts it at the very end of his opening prologue in John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God only begotten God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Fifth, we read in this prologue, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We move now from the glory of Christ's person in the previous two to the glory of the work of Christ in the next two he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He created all things by speaking creation into existence. God said, so he upholds it by his powerful word. As Philip Hughes writes, there is both here support and movement. Support and movement. Movement. He sustains the universe. He's in control. He sustains. He he upholds the universe. We never have to fear that God is somehow letting the, the world, the universe, dissolve. He's sustaining it. But he's also moving it on to its... Ultimate consummation. The universe is dependent on God for its continued existence. But again, as we saw last week in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, in Him all things hold together. And then next we read, after making purification for our sins. He made purification for our sins is the sixth thing we read about Christ. Made purification for our sins. Here in one brief phrase, we, we read of the whole reason for Christ's coming to earth. As the angel said to Joseph of Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people From their sins. That's what Christmas is all about. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The one who came to save his people from their sins. Christmas is about the incarnation, God becoming man. But more than that, it's about salvation, salvation in Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. But the crux, the crux is that Christ took the punishment for all the sins of all of his people. That's the crux of it. And we sing of this even in some of our Advent songs, our Christmas songs. What child is this? We sing these words, nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. What a child is this? Even that babe in the manger came to bear the cross for his people. And seventh and finally, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Sat down at the right hand of the of the majesty on high. As Matthew Henry puts it, having assumed our nature, Christ has taken it to heaven with him. Isn't that an amazing thought? He assumed our nature. He has taken it to heaven with him. As one has put it, the dust of the earth sits on the throne of heaven. The dust of the earth Sits on the throne of heaven, eternal God, but God who shares our nature. And it is significant that Jesus sat down. Priests never sat down when they went into the temple or when they went into the tabernacle. First of all, there are no chairs for them to sit in, there are no chairs. They stood. Why? Because it symbolized the ongoing nature of Old Testament, Old Covenant sacrifices. But Christ offered himself once, once, once for all time, once for all of his people. And so he sat down. It was final, it was complete, it was sufficient. And he sat down. In other words, in Christ, the work of salvation is done. We can't earn it. And we certainly don't deserve it. But Christ has accomplished it. It is all of grace. And it can only be received by faith. Trusting in Christ. And in Christ alone. The word sat also points to Christ's enthronement. He rules as king. And my question this morning is, is that true for you? He rules as king of the universe. But is that true for you personally? Does he rule as king of your life? The good news is that the radiant, majestic King is also a merciful Savior. A merciful Savior. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one Comes to God, but by me. Many of you know this story, and you may even know it by hearing about it in the movie Apollo 13. But in 1954, Jim Lovell was a fighter pilot on a training mission off the coast of Japan when his navigation systems failed. And he lost radio uh, contact with his ship. And he was flying in complete darkness over the Pacific. Wondering how in the world he was going to get where he needed to go. No navigation. Complete darkness. When he noticed a faint glow in the ocean... And he recognized this as a phosphorescent glow of planktonic algae that lived in the Pacific. The aircraft carrier's giant propeller had stirred up the flowing organisms, and it left a trail of radiant light in the ship's wake that led him back to the ship. And saved his life. An amazing, really miraculous story. But you know, there's even a a greater, more miraculous story. And that is that Jesus was the very beam of God's light, of divine brightness breaking into our dark world. The radiance of God's glory became the light who came into the world as light in darkness to make us children of the light. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank you for your great grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. How we praise you, our Lord Jesus, that you came as light in the midst of darkness, the light of the world. So, O God, we do thank you that you have come, that you have come to to save us from our sins, to take us out of our darkness and into light. And we pray this morning, if there are those here, those who are watching or listening online, who do not know you, O God, We pray that you would bring them to yourself, that they might know the true light, that they might be saved. Oh God, do a great work, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.